You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Good morning, good afternoon. Just want to take a second before we get started to simply say thank you for being here with us. Welcome. We're so excited that you're joining us today. If you don't know me, that's that's fine. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Refuge. If you don't know Refuge, it's even better because that means this is probably your first time with us. So we extra, just want to give you an extra welcome, right? Uh, Refuge is a new church plant in Southeast Austin, meaning we are a brand new church serving the Austin area. As a church, we exist to make disciples that shape our communities with the love of Jesus. You've heard me say this before if you uh, regularly attend. We believe Jesus his love, his message changes lives. And those changed lives bring very real change to our communities and our cities. And so if you're interested uh, in knowing more about our vision for that change, uh, for our city, or maybe even for your life, being involved in that change on a personal level, we would love to share more about that with you. Go into the video description, hit the connection link, uh, send that little form to us. We would love to connect with you, share more about what's going on. Uh, again, thank you so much for being here. and We look forward uh, to getting to know you a little bit more. Now, Onto the matter at hand. We're actually going to be diving into the scriptures. You know what time it is. It's my favorite time of the week. I hope it's becoming one of your favorite times of the week. All right. And today I have the distinct honor of jumping into uh, a new sermon series. I'm going to be very candid with y'all. Last week, I just completely forgot to announce this. So we're just dropping it on your hot out of nowhere. All right. So hope you enjoy it. And we're actually starting our sermon series in the book of Jonah today. And now you might be thinking to yourself, Jonah, you mean like the book with the big fish? And I'm like, ah, right. Uh, not because you're wrong. You're right. I mean, Jonah is the book that has maybe the Bible's most famous non-human character, right? If we think about non-human characters, the Jonah in Jonah and the whale, I mean, the fish in Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the fish uh, kind of is high up there. But what if I told you, all right, what if I told you that the fish is really not what the book of Jonah is about at all? What? Right? Matter of fact, what if I told you that the majority of everything we've learned about the book of Jonah in the Sunday school type vibe Jonah story isn't what the book of Jonah is about at all? Instead, what if I told you that the book of Jonah is actually the story of God's unrelenting love for sinful people? from rebellious cities to disobedient prophets, and how that love shapes us as his people. That's pretty dope, right? It's an amazing book, y'all, and I'm, I'm extremely excited for us to be working through it uh, for the next four weeks. This is, of course, the first week, so we'll have three weeks after this. And today we're going to start this journey by jumping in and tackling chapter one. Uh, and here's the thing. This is really going to lay the foundation, set the stage for the rest of our teaching series. Okay, so today we're going to learn a bit about Noah. Yeah, but here's the thing. What we're going to learn a little bit more about is actually the person of God. Specifically today, we're going to learn that God, especially depicted as depicted in the book of Jonah, is a lover of life. Not meaning like, like spring break lover of life, but rather he loves our life. He loves our, our, our healthy emotional and spiritual lives. He, he loves a full life. Uh, but to fully grasp that, we have to invite him into some of the conversations that we're having about life. Meaning, Let's, let's think about it like this. When we consider God, think about this. When we consider God, who do we consider? What type of rhythms with God? What type of relationship do we have with this God? What do we expect from him and what do we expect of ourselves 
in response to him? Now, these may seem like weird questions. And if I'm being honest, it's, it's easy oftentimes to neglect these type of questions. It's easy to get lost in the things that we believe should define our relationship with God. And often we never even really think about involving him or inviting him into uh, having a say in what our, our relationship with him should look like, what it should emphasize, what it should detail, what it should cover. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to start by getting a little bit of a reality check regarding what God desires with us uh, in his relationship with us. And we're going to take a look at what God, des- what God desires from us as a result of our relationship with him. And I want to give you a clue. Like I mentioned earlier, it's all about giving life. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to head in an encouraging note, but I also want to well, let you in on a secret that we're going to have some bumps on the way to that encouraging note. Let's go ahead and dive in. And again, we're going to be in Jonah 1. And to help us internalize the text a little bit better today, we broke it up into three parts. There's less points and more just like the parts of the scripture. The first part is going to be the flight, meaning like the the fleeing, the running that Jonah does. The second part is going to be the consequences, okay? Take a look at the consequences of that flight, of that fleeing. The last thing we're going to take a look at is the Lord of life, the Lord of life that's shown to us in Jonah 1 and really through the book of Jonah at large. And so let's go ahead and dive in. Again, we're going to start with the first three verses of chapter 1. We're going to start with chapter 1. We're going to start with the first three verses. Let's go ahead and dive in. I'm reading from the CSB version. You can read from whatever you want, but CSB will be on the screen. Verse 1 starts like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has become has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it and to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. All right, amen. Amen. Hey, let's go ahead and start with the flight. Okay, the flight, meaning kind of like the fleeing or the the running. Uh, And the reason I say that is because when we're introduced to Jonah, we're introduced to a little bit of a strange sight. We're introduced to what I I like to call um, a prophet on the run. Okay, verse 1 starts with the words, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, this was actually the standard introduction to a writing or a story about a biblical prophet. And if you don't know what a biblical prophet is, the biblical Old Testament prophets were individuals who were called by God uh, to speak for God to his people. Okay, they were called by God to speak for God to his people. Oftentimes, they were revered, respected, um, not all the time, but but a lot of the time, uh, but probably more than anything, they were known for their obedience and dedication to the Lord, even in times of great hardship and in the face of danger. Yet when we're introduced to Jonah here in Jonah chapter one, it's not danger or hardship that Jonah's fleeing from. In fact, it's God's own command. Check this out. In verse two, the Bible says that God asked Jonah to, quote, get up and go in order to preach to a foreign city, that foreign city being Nineveh. Then in verse three, almost like in irony, it says that Jonah definitely gets up and goes, but he gets up and goes uh, fleeing uh, to a city called Tarshish, which Tarshish was a city in those days known to be in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. So he definitely got up and went, but he got up and went in the exact opposite direction. The prophet responding to the Lord, what's going on here? What's happening? (laughs) 
in order to understand what's happening here, you have to understand a little bit about the city of Nineveh, okay? Nineveh was actually the ancient capital of the Assyrian Empire, okay? One of the nation of Israel's uh, probably biggest rivals, but also their biggest threat, not just in the region, but but Assyria was really Israel's biggest threat in the entire world. Um, to give you a little bit of context, in his commentary on Jonah, theologian James Buckner describes Assyria, at, ascribes Assyria as a terrorist state, noting the extreme descriptions of torture, mutilation, captivity, and slavery that the Assyrians recorded in their histories. Okay, so with that backdrop, uh, it makes more sense as to why Jonah just got up and, and ran. He didn't like what he was hearing, right? Like he didn't like what he was hearing from God. He didn't like the idea of going to warn this specific group of people of God's coming judgment because he didn't like the idea of this specific people possibly getting spared or shown God's mercy. Okay, that, that, that's what's motivating his heart. And, and this is where it gets interesting because this is where it almost like the, the waters get muddied. If, if we feel like we have this really clear understanding of Jonah, this is where it starts to break down. Okay, this is where we need to spend a little bit of time because check this out. Let's tackle like this. I want to ask you a question. All right, in your opinion, okay, and I want you to answer this for me. This is not a rhetorical question. I'm going to give you some space to answer it. In your opinion, who is it that Jonah has the biggest issue with in this story so far? Who is it that Jonah has the biggest issue with in this story so far? I'll give you a second. Take a look. Take back. Take a look. Take it in. Who is it that Jonah has the biggest issue with in this story so far? Let, let me give you some. Let me give you some. Some of my perspective, right? And I believe this is what the scripture is telling us. If you said the Ninevites, you are one hundred percent right where the author wants you to be, because that's not right. Okay. <laughs> For, again, that yes, he does have a problem with the Ninevites. You're absolutely right. But if we think that Jonah's biggest problem here is with the Ninevites, then I think that's where we're starting to miss what's happening in Jonah 1. Yes, of course, as, as a proud Israelite, Jonah probably uh, had at, at minimum a godly uh, anger toward the Assyrians, at maximum a, a sinful hatred toward the Assyrians. But up until this point, that anger, that hatred had never caused him to run away to another place, right? Think about it like this. Like, he had probably had been angry at the Assyrians before this, but this, it had never caused him, to our knowledge, to disobey God in such an explicit way. No, 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 no. You see, Jonah's biggest issue in this moment actually isn't with the Ninevites. Jonah's biggest issue in this moment is with God. Because Jonah isn't running from the Ninevites, he's running from God. He's running from a God that he believes has given him an assignment that doesn't seem fair to him, that he doesn't see as right. And as a result, Jonah does not see the point in obeying God, in obeying this commandment. Uh, Jonah can understand the wisdom, the goodness of God in this situation, and he responds by running. He responds by running away. And let me be honest. I relate to this so much. Like reading this, it's so easy to read this and be like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, like when we kind of get the Sunday school version, it's all about like being a, a good person and like God doing miracles. And, and you hear that and you're like, yeah, yeah, I like that. But then when you start diving in kind of like in, in a real way to Jonah, and it starts depicting this, this guy that's kind of mad at God, that questions God, that, is, that, that, that has his own view of what's right. And when, when God's opinion interferes with that, he's like, oh, whoa. 
it kind of starts to rub me because because I look at it and I'm like, I, I kind of feel just like Jonah right now, right? Like, like this is this is how we get. How often do we struggle to understand God's wisdom or goodness in situations in our own lives and begin to develop anger and doubt toward God? This whole idea here shouldn't be foreign to us because in all honesty, this is exactly us. When we aren't able to understand God's goodness or his wisdom or we can't see how God could possibly be for us in a situation that we're in, it's so easy to respond just like Noah. And right now you may be saying to yourself, well, not exactly like, I'm sorry, not Noah, Jonah. You may be saying to yourself, well, it's not exactly like Jonah, right? Because I'm not like fleeing. I'm not running from God. I didn't didn't throw in the towel and go live any way that I want to. And and I hear you, but my response is is maybe, but really, really neither did Jonah, but, but he's still running, right? Because if there's anything that we learn from Jonah, it's that there's more than one way to run from God. Okay, hear me here, friends. Yes, you can run from God by living how we want and doing what we want, by questioning if God is right and and doubting him and therefore doing X, Y, and Z, all the things that are outside of his will. We can run by becoming irreligious, absolutely. But we can also run from God by becoming extra-religious. How does that make sense? Well, Well, think about a text like Romans 3. Right, this isn't just in Jonah. This stretches through the entirety of the Bible. Think about a text like Romans 3 where after describing the type of person who runs from God by being irreligious, by living however however they want, in Romans 3 Paul begins to describe the very religious life of a Jewish person. Right? A, a way of life filled with God's commandments and prophets and signs. Yet, check out what he says in verses 9 through 11 about both about both lifestyles. In verse 9, he says, What then? Are we any better off, us being or we being Jews? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Hmm. How can that be? Okay, think about it together with me, okay? How can it be that one person who goes and does whatever they want, yeah, obviously they're running from God and they don't seek God, but how can it be that in this other lifestyle, this religious lifestyle, where where people are seeking to obey every law that God has given and every command and learn every oracle and story, how can it be that in this place people are still not seeking God? If they're seeking all these things and doing all these things but not seeking God, what could they be seeking? I'm not going to lie, it's here that I kind of sifted through a lot of different words as I was typing and preparing this week. But if there was one word I landed on, if there was one word that I began to to try to understand and and understand this concept with, it was the word leverage. That maybe in the the lifestyle of seeking after obedience and commandments and and religious, religious behavior and a religious lifestyle, maybe the actual thing that people were seeking was leverage. What is leverage? What is leverage? Well, I looked it up, and leverage means uh, is the means of force that moves a lever in one direction. You see this on a seesaw all the time, right? Maybe a seesaw is one direction lower, or one side is lower, the other side is higher, but then the more force you apply to the lighter side, the more the scale starts to even out, and eventually, it, with enough weight, it, it moves to the other side. This is often how we can use our obedience, our religious lifestyle, our religious obedience to God as a way of kind of endearing ourselves to God or maybe even indebting God to us. 
when we use our religious actions as leverage, okay, what we're doing is, is trying to prove ourselves to God, trying to prove ourselves to God. And what happens is when we prove ourselves to God, we actually have an intention, whether consciously or subconsciously, of separating ourselves from God. Meaning, if we can prove ourselves to God in our heart and in our mind, if we show him that we've earned love and that we've earned forgiveness, then there's no way he can ask us to do more than what we've given already because what we've given already should be enough. You see how that works? You see how all this, this, this religious behavior is swirling around? I love, I love the way pastor and theologian Tim Keller says it. He writes it like this. We think that if we are religiously observant, virtuous, and good, then we've paid our dues, as it were. Now God can't just take anything, can't just ask anything of us. He owes us. He's obligated to answer our prayers and bless us. This is not moving toward him in a grateful joy, glad surrender, and love, but is instead a way of controlling God and, as a result, keeping him at arm's length. In the book of Jonah, Jonah is depicted as having a lot of this self-righteous, in self-righteousness-induced anger and resentment toward God, right? Right? This type of this, type, this sense of self-reliance and self-righteousness that has proved himself to God in his own mind and therefore sees no point or no reason in, to, to respond to such a call from God. So he takes off in the other direction. Now, check this out, friends. In, in our own lives, the reality is maybe you're reading this and you're struggling because you're not called to be a missionary in some foreign place. Not everybody is. Right? I would even go so far to say that few people are. Probably more than are over there right now, but, <laughs> but few people, not as many are. Right? So maybe that's not you. But maybe God has called you. In fact, I know with assurance for some of us, God has called us to humble ourselves in certain relationships. Right? Maybe God has called us to give financially in ways that don't make sense to us or uh, to people that we struggle or we question whether they quote unquote deserve it. Maybe he's called us to get out of our own comfort zone and share our faith with people that we don't think will receive it. Or, or maybe he's calling us to love someone that's extremely and legitimately hard to love. Possibly uh, he's calling us to, to go out of our way to serve the communities around us like we often try to do here at Refuge. Regardless of what it is, if we live keeping God at arm's length through our own self righteousness through our own proving we lose the great gifts that god is seeking to give us but that he's seeking to give us through the callings that he's calling us to okay just as dangerous we might also never understand what god is doing in the storms that follow those actions okay well being that that arm length away we may never understand the consequences and what god is doing in those and that's what we're going to talk about next, right? The consequences of in Jonah. Let's dive into verses four through seven. Okay, it says, But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. 
Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's cast lots, then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. It's for your information, a lot is almost like trying to roll dice to, to figure out. Uh, it was a common way to, to single people out or to, to figure out what was happening back then. I wouldn't suggest rolling dice now. But what we learned from this text, regardless of rolling dice and casting lots, what we learned from this is what happens when we run. And the reality is, friends, the reality, friends, is that there's consequences. And, and hear me, I'm not trying to scare you. I don't think the Bible's trying to scare you either. It's not like this isn't a scared straight segment, right? Rather, I think the Bible's trying to spare us, okay? The scriptures are inviting us to see that for every act of disobedience against God, okay, there's a very real consequence in our lives. There's a very real storm. Uh, and before we go any further, what I want to make sure that we understand is that every hardship, every storm, that this is not saying that every storm in our lives is the result of sin. The Bible doesn't teach that. Really, Scripture teaches us that we live in a broken world. It's, it's fallen. There's sin at every crevice of our world. And as a result, we just experience pain. Bad things happen to good people and, and all that. And, and that's probably the majority of what's happening when we are experiencing hardships. Nonetheless, we do have to reckon with the fact that Scripture does still teach us that even though every hardship, every storm is not related to sin, every sin still does um, have a connected storm. Okay, every sinful action has a consequence, a storm in this world. But let's say it like this. What does that mean? Well, there's no way that we can live in this world. There's no way that we can live in selfishness, greed, impatience, or lacking kindness, or, or lacking love, and expect to receive good things back from this world. It's a matter of fact. It's something that we just can't avoid. Now, you might be thinking, well, I've seen people scam their way to the top, right? Like, like I've seen it happen, and, and I hear you, but, but I would also say and also contend with you that, that we can't see the scars on the soul of the person that made that, that corrupt climb, right? I think of Alexander the Great, who, who maybe after Jesus is the most influential person to ever walk the earth, right? The Macedonian king conquered Greece, then led Greece to conquer the entirety of the known world at the time, spreading Western Greek culture across the world influencing how we live today. That's a huge part of why the New Testament is written in Greek and why we are Western civilization in America. He never really lost a battle, so it's pretty incredible, and had more riches than me and you can really imagine. We can't really put our mind around how this man was living, right? Yet, in his final words, we learn a bit about the man behind the glory, right? He reportedly said in some of his final words, bury my body, do not build any monument, keep my hands outside, so that the world knows the person who won the world had nothing in his hands when dying. Whether external consequences, friends, or internal consequences, the reality is very, very real. there are very real consequences to our sin, to our running. When we run from God, we place ourselves in positions that the scriptures desire to spare us from. Okay, on personal levels, the, the scriptures, God, through the word, desires to spare you and me from personal pain. Okay, but there's another type of consequence, I think, that Jonah's showing us here. And we can really see it in verses 8 through 10. Okay, in verses 8 through 10, it says, Then they said to him, they being the passengers, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of 
the heavens, who made the sea and dry land. Then the men were seized by great fear and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he, Jonah, had told them. Do you see that? Do you see that? There are times when the consequences of our life aren't relegated to just us. Look at how this storm, the storm that was really following Jonah's, Jonah's sin, sins and mistakes, was impacting everybody else that was on the boat. Friends, oftentimes the, the pain that, that follows our sinfulness ripples out and has very real impacts on, impact on the people that are close to us, our friends, our family, the people that we're close to, that we care about. Hey, maybe, maybe it's a fallout with someone in a relationship where we decide either consciously or unconsciously that that person isn't worth our patience or kindness um, or gentleness. Maybe uh, it's when others are impacted by our inability to steward our, 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 our responsibilities while at work or at school. Maybe it's those that look up to us at church, uh, look to us for an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus, and, and we fail to offer them that, okay? Our consequences have very real impact on others. But there's one more thing to see here in this impacting others, and that's, that's that sometimes it can impact people on a, on a deeply spiritual level, okay? Earlier in this section, it says that each person that was on the boat was crying out to their own God, meaning that none of these individuals were followers. To our knowledge, none of them were followers of the true God, the God of Israel. They were pagan worshipers, pagans. Yet it's these very pagan worshipers in verse 10 that look at Jonah and question him, what is this you've done? AKA, what are you doing to us, man? What are you doing to us? Friends, when we live our lives proving ourselves to God, to others, to ourselves, this is, it's often easy to fall into the trap of making ourselves like a judge and jury of what's right and wrong, okay? We can easily begin to treat others judgmentally, lacking compassion, lacking mercy and grace, living selfishly. These pagans actually recognize that type of lifestyle, that type of heart in this moment in Jonah, right? They recognize that while they were doing everything they could to save one another, they were tossing cargo, trying to figure out who had done what, right? Calling out to their gods. All the while, um, all the while Jonah had the solution, but never lifted a finger to save anybody on that boat except for himself. That while they were throwing the wrong solutions at each other over and over, the real solution, even way back in verse one, was, was Jonah humbling himself laying his life down and preaching to people that he may have personally thought and deserve it, but God, but, but maybe in faith that God knew better. They called him out, and with good reason. The reality is, church, that, that at times we can live in ways where, where unwittingly, right, again, unintentionally, we're not trying to sour the testimony of the church, but, but we can oftentimes thwart the mission of the church, if that makes sense, I mean, to the best of our abilities. We can oftentimes sour the testimony of the church by living in a way that, that leaves room for other people outside of the church to call us out for good reason. Of course, there will be times where people outside the church call out the church because there's, there's just difference of opinions of what's right and wrong, right? But, but there were also times where, where, where we can be seen as, as people, that are, people that are hoarding goodness and, and hoarding um, spiritual 
energy, love, affection, right? The, the grace and love that we receive from God, we're kind of keeping and holding that back from the rest of the world. And, and, and oftentimes, we don't look out to the people that are perishing and, and desire deeply to extend that affection to them. I want to say this very gently because I know that this can be hard for some of us to work through and maybe hard for some of us to hear, but, but this is a lot of what I think happened in the conversations about police brutality in the black community this past summer. Right? While people were dying and really still are dying in a lot of ways, the culture of the world was trying to figure out any and every way they could um, to stop it. And instead of the church at large, meaning the, the church across the board, not any specific church, but instead of the church um, picking up that mantle and, and bringing the real solution to the table in gospel truth, in gospel reconciliation, in gospel justice, much of the church sat back and, and really played judge and jury about who they thought deserved justice and who didn't. Many, many in the church instead of seeing people's pain and people's hurt and wanting to console and love and build up those communities, build up people that were hurting, build up people that were grieving, decided that the solution in those moments wasn't godly character, but instead our own opinion. You see how that works? And it's in moments like that that we see exactly what we see here, right? Where, where there was a major backlash against the church to say, hey, what's, what's happening here? Right, Friends, this is the manner of life that Jonah is trying to warn us about, okay? This type of selfishness, this type of self-righteousness that comes to us uh, when we don't recognize our deep need for God's mercy. When, when we don't personally have an ownership of God's mercy, meaning we don't recognize that we are in deep need of it, right? When we don't recognize the deep need we have for God's grace and mercy, this is the type of this is the type of selfish love that can begin to come from our hearts, from our lives. We're not coming to God and, and recognizing that we, we're to bear our whole lives in front of him. And, and when we bear our lives in front of him, his love and grace meets us not with judgment, but with mercy, forgiveness, and love, right? It's that same love that he now desires for us to take to others. It really did remind me of this line from the OG Christian rapper, Lecrae. Um, he put out a new album recently called Restoration. It slaps. You should go check it out. Uh, and in the last song of the album, called Nothing Left to Hide, uh, it's an aptly named song for this sermon. By the way, recognize that I said the last song on the album. Listen to whole albums. That's a rule here at Refuge. Read the Bible and listen to whole albums, okay? Uh, in the last song, <laughs> I'm way off here, okay. In the last song, Nothing Left to Hide, uh, he says this in the very last line, and I ain't deserve a day. Matter of fact, I missed a lot of plays. Matter of fact, I dropped the ball way too many times. They still wondering how we won the game. Offense, drugs, divorce, addiction, those are the things you mention and you come up missing. Well, tell me what's the mission if it ain't forgiveness. Only two responses to sin, forgiven repentance. But we love to beat each other up instead of praying and working to heal each other, huh? Friends, when we recognize, and I think what, what, what Lecrae captures beautifully here is that when we recognize our deep need for God's mercy, it, it transforms our heart from a heart of judgmental, judge-jury position to a heart of deep compassion and love and grace for others, no matter where they are. 
no matter the mess they're in, because the desire in our heart is to meet them with the grace that has met our messiness. The same grace and love that's taking our messiness and making it into godliness is the same mess that we're hoping uh, meets them through us that takes their messiness and turns it into godliness, right? That's what Cray is trying to, trying to get to here. Okay. Now, all this is happening, right? There's consequences. We're seeing that, that man, when, when we live in disobedience, when we live outside of a deep need for God's grace, for his mercy, there are very real consequences. Yet still, Jonah 1 wants to leave us with an encouraging truth. Okay, if the truths that, are, that have been presented so far are burdensome, I want to tell you that Jonah 1 doesn't want to leave you with that burden. In fact, I believe the entire book of Jonah's aim is to alleviate that burden and create an encouraging sense of joy moving forward. Because check this out, the character at the center of the book is not Jonah. Now, we've been tracking Jonah and all his messes, but he's not really the character at the center of the book. The character at the center of the book, neither is it the Ninevites. It's not you or me. It for sure ain't no whale. That whale makes a one-verse cameo. We're fixing to see it next week. Rather, the person at the center of the book of Jonah is actually the person of God. The person of God showing the character of God. Showing that his character is, 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 has a deep love for life, that he loves life. He, he loves the life in us. He loves joy and hope, and he also loves growth, and he loves godliness. He's not just a God that's trying to tell Noah what to do. He's the Lord of life, trying to get Noah, instruct Noah toward life. And that's the last thing I wanted want to think through today, briefly, the Lord of life, that, that that the God of Jonah, the, the God of the book of Jonah, is the Lord of life. For a second, I want you to look back at everything that's happened in this first chapter of Jonah and, and ask me a question. At what point was anything that happened in this story in the pursuit of death or judgment? At what point did anything happen in this story where death or judgment was the end game? Nothing. In the very first verse, God asked Jonah to go preach to a violent, sinful people in hopes that they'll turn from their sin, turn from his judgment, and turn to his mercy. In addition, check out verse 12 and 13. After all this has happened, in verse 12, he, Jonah, answered them, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you, for I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. You see that? Even after learning that it was Jonah's fault, the passengers still fought hard to get back to dry land so that they could spare Jonah. And even at the end, when they are finally forced to throw Jonah overboard, even that's not meant for Jonah's death because God ends up sending, in addition to the storm, a huge fish miraculously to swallow up Jonah and spare him from death. At no point in Jonah's story is the Lord after death or destruction or pain in his life, but rather at every point in the story, God wants to bring life to the people that he interacts with. Even in the first verses, when, when Jonah fled, that didn't take God by surprise, not just because he's God. I mean, yeah, but, but I mean, the original Hebrew readers probably wouldn't have been surprised by that. How do we know that? Well, because when I earlier said that Jonah, like, probably hated the Assyrians, I mean, he probably, like, hated the Assyrians. 
The only other place we we have a, a context for Jonah is in 2 Kings 14, 21 through 25, where it talks about how he declared that even under the oppressive uh, pressure of the Assyrian Empire, he declared that God was saying that the 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 boundaries, the borders of of Israel, were not going to be shrunk back, but they were going to expand out. Right? He was a deeply patriotic man, loved his country, and he would have been especially suspicious and maybe angry at the Assyrians, who at the time were, were applying un I mean like like oppressive pressure to Israel, requiring tribute payments from specifically the northern kingdom of Israel. And so do you think it's a coincidence that God would ask the one prophet who probably hates the Assyrians the most to go preach to the Assyrians so that they could be spared and shown God's mercy? No, no, because God wasn't just after life for the Assyrians, but God was also after the fullness of life for Jonah. That's why he asked him. That's why he asked him. Because God wanted Jonah to know the depths of God's grace and love. And one of the ways Jonah was going to learn the depths of God's grace and love for himself was when he preached the depths of God's grace and love for a sinful, violent people in Assyria. And you think about God, man, like even in Jonah's disobedience, like, like the good father that he is, God was going to go to every length in order to show Jonah this sense of love and affection, right? Disobeying? Getting thrown overboard, giant fish, right? Or disobeying, run, storm. Gets thrown overboard in the storm, fish. The fish later on is going to spit him up on the land. Later on is going to be hot. God is going to grow a tree. It's going to be, I mean, there is going to be no end to the extent that God will go in order to show Jonah the depth of love. And that's the God that Jonah wants to show us. A God who, who knows no length that he won't go to in order to show you and to show me the depths of his love and grace for you and for me. And this character is consistent across the Bible because it was going to be the same heart that was going to endure whip after whip as Jesus was whipped with um, broken glass and, and nails, dripping blood. It was going to be the same heart that, that Jesus continued to press forward on his way to Golgotha, the place of the skull where where he would be crucified. It was going to be with the same heart that Jesus would later, hanging on a cross, cry out, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. It would be with the same heart that, that God would not stop. He would not go short of any lengths in order to show us that he loved us, even to going to death on the cross. It was going to be with this same heart, this same love and grace that we were going to see in the person of Jesus hanging on the cross in order to redeem and save you and me. The game, not the game, the, the intention of this moment was to show us the intention of Jonah, the intention of Jesus has always been to show us, friends, that a life redeemed is better than a life proved. That a life redeemed is better than a life proved. And now today, it's that same love that God now extends to us through Jesus. Okay, uh, again, uh, it, it's shaping us. It's forming us, as we talked about earlier. And, and it's what I pray shapes and forms us as not just individuals, but as a church, as a family. Okay, we're done. We're done. We're finishing up. Uh, over the course of the next three weeks, as we work through the book of Jonah, okay, this is just Jonah 1. We got three more weeks that are going to be built around similar ideas as this. As, as we tackle these next three weeks, it's my prayer that we would, we would put ourselves in a position to allow God's love to cultivate our lives in a way that brings deep trust and deep joy and deep hope 
uh, and deep purpose. Okay, um, so reality is, no matter who we are, God is calling us. Okay, maybe you're, you're new to Christianity. God maybe is calling you for the first time. I want to encourage you, go after that. Hit the connection link, reach out to us. We would love to connect with you. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and he's calling you to uh, serve in some way or, or to, to be kinder, to be more gentle, more patient, more honest, uh, to borrow God's language from Jonah. Get up, go, do that. Um, these calls from God, they're not calls to try to lure us into pain. He, he wants to give us life through these calls. And I know one thing that's for sure is that as, as a church plan, as refuge, we have been called on a mission of, of seeking and saving the lost, of co-laboring with God. He's calling us to that, friends. If, if you're a part of refuge, that's what he's calling us to. Here's the one thing, or here's the thing, though, that the greatest that's the greatest threat to God's call for us today, regardless of whether it's as a part of refuge, as a new believer, called to uh, patience or kindness or, or gentleness or honesty. The biggest threat to it is, is, that, is that the lie that we have to prove ourselves to God. The lie that we have to prove ourselves to God or to others. And the inverse is true as well, friend, that the greatest fuel for us to, to walk in that, in that calling is actually the, the understanding that, that we are loved by God no matter what that we are loved by his grace and through his mercy. And as a result, when we stumble in that calling, we are built back up and sent back out. That is the truth that we're to live in if we're going to live out the callings that God has given us. But we can't keep running. Maybe you found yourself running in a way that is, you're living life any way that you want to. Okay, the God of grace and the, the, the God of the Lord of life is here. He's calling you back. He's calling you to his gracious arms. Maybe you are in the running position where you run away from God as a religious person. He's calling you back. His grace is ready to meet you. That's my desire for us today. Today, I don't have a lot of practical applications. We're ending up here because today is not about what you do. Today is about who you are and how God is working in your heart. I want to go ahead and close up with a prayer today. I'm preparing our hearts to respond in, in worship today, but also praying our hearts for the next three weeks of, of sermons that we have in Jonah that I, I'm praying are going to be transformative and uplifting to our community. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together today. Thank you, God, that you have called us in grace and in love, in mercy and in grace. Um, you have called us with, with such deep affection and desire to give us life, not to put us in positions of, uh, of danger. That's not the ultimate goal. If we are, it's with the purpose to see the beauty that's found in those moments and how we can run and learn to trust you more. You have called us to life, and thank you for that. Father, I ask that if there's any of us that are running from that call, running from the different ways you're calling us in our lives, that we would be humbled today, that we would bring ourselves to you and fall at your feet and receive the grace that you have for us. Thank you for the book of Jonah and how it paints a picture of your great grace for us. Over the next three weeks, allow our hearts to be sensitive to receive what you would have for us. We pray these things in your holy name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. 